Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We are rounding out in the next couple of days our year-long study in the book of Philippians. I must admit I have some degree of difficulty today in approaching our text and in preaching from our text, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I have some difficulty doing this because, uh, and I'm sure it shows, I have a great deal of difficulty studying uh, the Bible to preach. It's one thing to study the Bible and read and ask the Lord to apply it to your lives. I know preachers who will pick up the Bible, they'll read a passage, and then all of a sudden a uh, three-point sermon just comes straight into their head, and they're able to preach it right then and there. But uh, it doesn't come that easy for me. I know it shows uh, some weeks more uh, than others, but in studying this passage this week, I know that I've really had to dig down deep. Also, uh, it's difficult because uh, for each and every one of us, we want to practice what we preach. You know, God has the audacity to make me practice what I preach. Isn't that something? But, you know, I've loved Jesus for a long time. I've served him for many years, and I uh, know that none of us would be comfortable in saying one thing and then doing another. And today's passage and the content of today's passage is difficult to practice. And then finally, this passage is difficult for me to preach because I consider these verses that we're going to study today to be the most widely misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misapplied verses of the entire Bible. And I want to be very careful not to do the exact same thing in the opposite direction and to misinterpret or to misquote or to misapply these passages. Today's subject, whether you realize it or not, is a part of your lifelong journey. It's a part of your lifelong pursuit. Whether you are young in this room or whether you are old, this pursuit we have all had in common. It's a part of our life story. Contentment. Contentment. To just be content. What does it mean? How is it achieved? Can we get any relief from the pace of the world's passions? Can we ever just sit back and be thankful and be content? Can we ever just be satisfied? The title of today's message is Contentment. Can I? I can. Contentment. Can I? I can. Reading now from God's Word in Philippians chapter 4. Begin reading in verse 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. 
I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I pray now that you would give clarity to my tongue that is not normally there. Father, I never want to lead your people astray, but as we come before your word today, in these verses that I believe have been so widely misunderstood and misquoted and misapplied, I pray that today your spirit would intercede for me and would speak to the hearts of your people. And Lord, for those who are saved here today, I pray that they would be drawn closer to you. And that for those who've never repented of their sins and called upon Jesus as Lord, I pray that they would find contentment in the name of Jesus, in whose name I pray these things. Amen. Paul is now placing the finishing touches on his letter to the church at Philippi. And for us this year, it has been our manual for joy, how we can have joy, how we can exemplify and show joy and practice that joy before others. And yet there are a few more things of great importance that Paul wants to place here at the very end of this letter for both the church at Philippi and for those here today at First Baptist Church of West Memphis. Paul will display today in this passage his contentment and he will show us as believers how we can and may be content. So if you're taking notes today, our first point that I will draw from verse 10 today is this, an unusual joy, an unusual joy. Contentment carries with it an unusual joy. Look in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You indeed uh, were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Contentment carries with it an unusual joy. Contentment is the breeding ground for joy. If you find contentment in the heart of a person, you will find joy. And where contentment is lacking in the life of an individual, you will find anxieties and sorrows multiplied. But here, because Paul is content, we see a quite unusual joy. This is the 13th time that Paul has used the word joy or to rejoice in this very small letter. This is the last time that he will include that word in this letter. And at this point, really, we the reader have to ask the question, seriously? I mean, really, Paul? Paul, don't forget where he is at. Paul is not writing this letter from a coffee shop uh, right outside of the Colosseum where he's taking in all of the sights. Paul is writing this letter from jail. No doubt when he's writing this letter, uh, he's, as he moves his hands, the chains that are attached to the imperial guard next to him is moving. He's in jail and he's in, in Rome of all places. I mean, you won't really find a very friendly outcome uh, in Rome, in your case, unless you have some money, which Paul does not have, 
which you know somebody, which Paul does, but they do not know the one that Paul knows, so it doesn't really, doesn't seem very helpful. Or, uh, there's, well, there's really no way to get a just uh, case in Rome, especially to those people who would call anyone other than Caesar but Lord, or who would call anyone other than Caesar Lord. Paul says that Christ is Lord, not Caesar. And so Paul is in a very, very bad place. He is now three to four years into an indefinite prison sentence. And don't forget how he got there. He went down to Jerusalem to share the gospel with those people who he loved and wanted to share the gospel with. Paul was beaten so bad he could not even walk out of the temple complex. The Roman guards, or the, the, uh, the guards, uh, Pilate's guards, had to pick him up and carry him out of uh, that place. He was beaten within an inch of his life, and now he has been in over three prisons. He has been beaten, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, and there toward the end of Acts, he was bitten by a poisonous snake. That sounds to me the most terrifying of all of them, to tell you the truth. But Paul has gone through a terrible ordeal. And now, in the midst of this indefinite prison sentence, he is rejoicing. Doesn't that strike you as unusual? Doesn't it strike you as unusual that you can rejoice in the midst of such persecution and difficulty? But you see, contentment carries with it an unusual joy. Paul knew well what Peter said in 1 Peter in chapter 1 and verses 8 through 9. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. Can I ask you a question? Is that joy in your life today? I mean, we are not in a prison today. None of you are being held captive. No, listen, none of you are really being held captive right now. You could walk out at any time that you want to. But let me ask you a question today, as we sang these songs of worship, did you have real joy in your heart? Jesus Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Did you sing those songs with joy? Amen. As we said, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Here from this comfortable setting, in this comfortable temperature where no one has you uh, held hostage, here in this room where everything is going your way, are you filled with joy? It may be that you're lacking contentment. Contentment breeds an unusual joy, and it's easy to observe those who are most content around you. They take every bleak situation that you're going through, every difficulty, and you know what? With them, it's not that bad because they're filled with joy. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He is not happy because of the gift that they have given, as we will see in just a moment. Where is his rejoicing going? I rejoice in the Lord. And it's not even at the gift. I'm just glad you thought of me. It's just nice to be thought of. What an unusual joy that is being displayed by Paul. And let me ask you, don't you want that kind of joy? 
I mean, if you can't be happy or smile in our church services, something tells me that a jail cell is not going to make it any easier. <laughs> Some of you, I, I've been asked, do I look at specific people when I preach? And I really try not to. I mean, I'm looking at you right now, but I've got, I've got attention problems. If I start to look at you, my attention's going to go here and there. And matter of fact, it's trying to go right now, Okay. But sometimes uh, preaching, it's like you're daring me to make you smile. Brother Johnny, you may feel like that sometimes. He's singing a song, telling the Lord how thankful he is, Lord, you've given me a brand new life. And he looks out and he goes, oh, is it life or is it death? It's hard to tell. And most certainly, some of the songs that we sing when we sing to Jesus should bring you to tears. Some of those songs should cause you to sit down and think about those words because they're not true of your life right now. But my friends, if you don't have joy right now, let me tell you something. When times get tough, it's not going to magically appear. Contentment brings joy. Contentment. Can I? Yes, I can. Point number two. Not only does contentment carry with it an unusual joy, but I want you to observe today an impractical perspective. An impractical perspective in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. (laughs) Well, once again, we have to stop and say, Paul, what are you talking about? As a matter of fact, Paul, if you are not in need, I don't know who is, right? He is a man who is in jail. He is in Rome. I mean, he's got no chance at a just trial. I mean, his life looks uncertain. Surely, death is on the table. He believes that death is on the table. Philippians chapter 1, he says, this could end in my death, and I'm fine with that. That's great for me to live as Christ, and to die is gain. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And we ask the question, Paul, if you're not, who is, right? I mean, after all, Matthew chapter 25, remember Jesus is talking about the judgment that is to come. And he says he's going to separate the goats from the sheep. And he's going to say to the sheep, enter into my rest. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you came to me, right? I was in prison and you came to me. So we think Jesus thought that being in prison was a trying ordeal. But notice what Paul says here. I'm not speaking of being in need. Contentment gave him an impractical perspective. Everyone else thought that what he needed was to be set free from jail. But Paul had already been set free in the place that counted most. He had been forgiven of his sins. This jail meant nothing to him. Paul doesn't want the Philippians to think that their money or that their gifts made him happy. Things won't make you happy. Can I get an amen there? Things won't make you happy, church. You may try. You may go out and get all the things. You, you, may, you may watch every commercial, and you may be that person who picks up your phone and says, you know what, I'll be dog if I don't need that. Whatever it is, call that 1-800 number, and for only $19.99, or I'm sure, sure right now, that was when I was young, it's probably $49.99, just three easy payments. You could have that. You think, man, these things will make you happy, but things won't make you happy. 
Hey, young people, my teenagers, your phones, right? Social media things, having the right, the right kind of clothes. You know, when I was uh, younger, my younger brother was into all of the fads. You know, it was, what was in style then was Tommy Hilfiger. Any, anyone wear Tommy I never wore that, okay? But somehow my brother convinced my parents to buy him those clothes, and I got Walmart. I don't know. They must have loved him more than they loved me, Right? Those things won't make you happy. You think that they will. You feel like they will. They're not going to make you happy. Things fade away. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Paul had everything taken from him, but he was the richest man in that jail cell. That guard perhaps would trade out every 12 to 24 hours, and he'd go home to his family. He made pretty good money as an imperial guard. He went home to his family and to his nice house, and he'd change, and he would come back, and somehow Paul was the richest man in that room. Paul wasn't made happy by their gift. Paul's, their gift found Paul happy. It makes me think of Psalm 23, the contentment that we see in Psalm 23. Remember that famous passage, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why is that little sheep so happy? Why is his little mind so at ease? Why does he have this impractical perspective? Why? Because of the shepherd. Because of the shepherd's presence. That little defenseless Sheep can buy his way right into the valley of the shadow of death and not worry about the wolves who want to take his life. That little sheep can march right into those shadows where everything wants to take its life and not be worried because Jesus is with him. That little sheep can stand with all of the enemies surrounding him on the battleground and not be afraid. As a matter of fact, can lean back in his chair and watch his table prepared for him. Why? Because the Lord is with him. Amen. Contentment carries with it an impractical perspective. Do you trust in God through the difficulties of life? Amen. And in the good times of life? Amen. I want to suggest to you today that God has contentment prepared for you, as we'll see in a moment. God has this prepared for you if you're ready to learn it and to receive it through every difficulty in life. Contentment. Can I? I can. Point number three in verse 11. I want you to see an uncoveted lesson. 
Josh, that's not a word. You're right. I looked it up in the dictionary. Uncoveted is not a word. I looked in a couple of dictionaries. It was not there, so I made it up. Is it about time somebody did that? Amen. Yeah, I made it up. I just put my name right next to that, uncoveted, right? And it sounds just like a a BB boy uh, from uh, BB public school systems, you know. But I want you to see that contentment comes by an uncoveted lesson, a lesson that is not desired. Look with me in verses 11 through 12. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, underline that, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Some of the most meaningful lessons in life, younger folks, you can ask our older folks around here when church service is over. Some of the most meaningful lessons that we learn in life are lessons that we did not set out upon to learn. As a matter of fact, lessons that we would prefer never to have learned in the first place. There were difficulties that came along the way. We did not plan that. But some of the most valuable lessons that you're going to learn in life comes from the most difficult of circumstances. For those who seek the coveted quality of contentment, I've got news for you today. It's not given, it's learned. And it's learned over the course of the years, over time. Paul is learning this. Paul has learned this, which means at some point in time, Paul had not learned it, but he had to to learn it. Misfortune had been his mentor. Persecution, his professor. Both tribulation and triumph has been his teacher, teaching him to be content in all things. Could it be that the circumstances that you are going through right now, the great teacher is using to teach you a lesson? Could it be that God is teaching you contentment among many other things through the things that are going on in your life? Have you received a bad diagnosis? Or perhaps you're in your peak physical health. Are your relationships breaking apart or are they thriving? Are you broke? Are you comfortable with the resources that you have? Listen, in every one of those circumstances, God is using those to teach you to rely upon him and nothing else. In each of those circumstances, now we here in America have uh, what I've often heard as the persecution of plenty. You have so much, you forget that he's what you really need. And in a way, our situation is very difficult. We think that because we have plenty, it's because of what we have done, and we think that we're just fine. But what we really need, it can't be bought, not with our money. What we really need, we can't afford. Paul says here, over the course of his life, he has learned this secret. How to get through the difficult times, how to get through the good times, how to be, how to be brought low how to abound, how to have plenty, how to hunger, how to have abundance, how to have need. He could handle it all. In his mind, I can imagine this phrase, this too shall pass. Well, I was in the eighth grade when God got a hold of my life and told me to surrender to preaching. 
I couldn't believe uh, that he was doing that. I did not want that at all in my life. As a matter of fact, I ran from it a little bit later. But certainly as a little eighth grader, I did not want uh, to, to preach or teach or do any of those things. Uh, God called me to preach at a missions event called Frontliners. I came home to tell my mom and dad. I told my mom, and my mom said, oh, good. Yeah, just she knows what life is like. Life can be difficult and everything. Ministry can be difficult. I told my dad, my dad gave me one piece of advice. Are you ready to hear it? He said, son, there's one thing certain about God's people, and that's that there's nothing certain about God's people. Now, don't take that as a slight against you, because I'm one of them. I'm one of God's people, right? But that, that piece of advice is with me all the time. When we walk out of here, you say something nice about my preaching, I think, okay, good, but don't get the big head. Because there's one thing certain about God's people, and that's that there's nothing certain about God's people. And you know what? If I'm getting chewed out or if someone's really frustrated at me, I can keep a level head because you know what? There's one thing certain about God's people, and that's that there's nothing certain about God's people. We're falling, aren't we? We mess up. We falter. We sin. Paul learned this lesson over time. He could handle all of these things. As a matter of fact, the word that he uses, the word content, is borrowed from Stoic philosophers. It means to be uh, uh, self-content or self-sufficient, to not rely upon outward or exterior circumstances, things, or people. It was one of the highest virtues in that Stoic philosophy to be independent, to be able to do it yourself, to not have to rely upon others. Paul takes that word and he borrows it. Paul repurposes the word. It's not being able to supply all of your own needs and about being self-sufficient, but as we'll see in this next and final point, it's about who you're found in. Uh, let's uh, review our notes here. Contentment carries with it an unusual joy and impractical perspective and an uncoveted lesson. But finally, I want you to see with me that contentment is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Here we are at this verse that you have waited to get to. Finally, we're at this verse that's been etched on your golf clubs and on your baseball bats. It has been on your mirrors and on every on your shoes when you go running. I mean, this verse is right there for you. We have read it and put it on everything. Almost every professing Christian athlete has displayed this publicly at some point in time, and I am not diminishing them in the least. But I want you to know that verse 13 is not some magical mantra that you can say that gets you to be whatever you want to be, Right? It's not going to just empower you to do anything that you want to do. As a matter of fact, the context of this verse is exclusively dealing with contentment. It's, the, it's, the way, it's not the way of reaching out to what we want, but to what we really need, contentment. It's an outpouring of what's been written before, so let's study it real closely. I can do all things. That word, I can do, is I have been empowered. God has strengthened me. He has given me the ability. It's the power. It's the impulse within. I can do, 
He says next, all things. Now, this is not anything and everything. You can't do anything and everything. Uh, You can uh, can tattoo this on your arm and go up on top of a four-story building and try to fly, and it's not going to happen. And I'm going to bring it up at your service if I'm doing it. Okay? Philippians 4.13 is not a way for you to get better at your golf game. As a matter of fact, if you edge it on your golf clubs, you go out there to play golf, and you say, look at here, guys, at this, and then you shank it, that's a bad representation of Christ, right? Look at here, I wrote this on my golf club, and now I'm going to be good. That's not what he's saying. What is he saying about all things? Well, what he just mentioned, right? What he had just brought up. I can do all things. What does it mean? I can be brought low. I can be brought low and be content. If today everything were taken from you and they were to rewrite the story of Job, but it would insert your name here, would you be content? Paul says, I've learned how to be brought low. I've learned how to abound. I've learned plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things. But I want you to notice this last part of the verse, which I think really is the key to all of it. Perhaps your translation says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I believe that the better translation is this. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. What is it that enables Paul to be so content to, as Rudyard Kipling would say, meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same? It's Paul's position. It's where Paul is. He may be in a jail cell, right? But he knows that his life is hidden in Christ. And if his life and his security and his being and his identity has been placed in Christ in his hands, he knows that nothing can rip that out of the Father's hands. He knows that nothing can take him from that place. It's Paul's favorite way of relating to Christ. You won't see Paul saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but what he does say 164 times throughout all of his letters is that he is a man who is in Christ. His position in Christ makes him content in all things. Because my life is with him, because I am in him, I can deal with any of the things on this earth because this earth is fading away. You, you parade me down the street and make me popular, I can deal with it because I know that my life is not here. It's there. You can place me in some ratty prison on the outskirts of Rome. You can give me no justice. You can call me every name. It doesn't matter because I may be here, but really, I'm there. I am in him because I'm located in him. The scripture says I am a new creation in Christ Jesus because I am in him. I am forgiven 
in Christ Jesus. Because I am in Christ, I have been made righteous. Because I am in Christ, I am his workmanship. No longer to live for my own self, but to live for the good works that he's prepared for me beforehand. Because I am him and in him, rather, I am his child. I am an heir to the things that Christ has for me. Because I am in him, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because I am in him, I am more than a conqueror. Because I am in him and because he is in me, I have Christ, the hope of glory. So here's the key to contentment. It's that song that we sang earlier. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Let me, let me rip the Band-Aid off for you. The things that you think that you have, you don't really have. Your possessions, gift from the Father, given to you to be a good steward of. Who really owns it? He does. Your money in the bank. You think that's really yours? It's his, all of it. Your good health, your bad health, whose is it? It's his. Your mind, it's his. Your heart, it's his. The breath that you're taking right now, it's his. So my encouragement to you is Acknowledge that all of the things that you think that you got to have so that you can just be satisfied and happy, all those things you don't own anyway, but God has given you something far greater than those things that you might possess, and that is his only son, Jesus. Are you here today and lost? You've never repented of your sins You've never come to know Jesus truly as Savior and Lord. You've heard about him. You've heard the stories. Perhaps you've walked an aisle. Perhaps you've been dumped underneath the water, but you've never truly been changed. And you say, Josh, I'm looking for contentment. I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking for satisfaction, and I can't find it anywhere. He's provided it in his son, Jesus. You can have all that you could possibly want in life and more through his son, Jesus, if today you will repent of your sins and call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's not about your good deeds. It's not about your ability. It's about you turning to him and saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to live for you. Come be the Lord and Savior of my life. In just a moment, down here at this altar, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. But perhaps you're here today and you know Jesus is Savior and Lord. And you say, Josh, I've served him for many years. But you know what? I've been fooled by the things of this world and I am not content. Well, that's available to you. Through the lessons of life and trusting in Jesus, that contentment is available to you. You don't have to be discontent. You can have the contentment that God can bring as a fruit in your life if you just trust in him. Contentment, can I? Yes, I can. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. 
We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.